Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Your Neighbor, a Priest, a podcast featuring commentary and theological reflection on local news and events in Southwest Washington and the larger themes that impact all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of life and in particular American life in the 21st century. I'm Father Nick Mather, Rector of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview, Washington. I am your neighbor and I am a priest. special episode of this podcast, looking at the story, the implications, the perhaps misidentification of a disciple, apostle, and saint, St. Thomas the Apostle, known colloquially as Doubting Thomas. In order to dig deep into the story of Thomas and what we might take away from his example, I've invited pastors Liz and Dexter Carney of Longview Presbyterian and Pastor Allison Maddox of Longview United Methodist to help us all see and better understand Thomas. Before we launch into today's conversation, I wanted to stop for a moment and make an observation about an important point of contention in today's coronavirus COVID-19 shutdown world regarding the rights and liberties of churches in regards to abiding by stay-at-home orders, social distancing requirements and suggestions, and the like. And I think Thomas has something to say about this. We've seen in the news, particularly around Eastern, although becoming more prominent with major politicians calling for the exemption of church gatherings from the stay home orders, examples of pastors that have very publicly and very actively acted against the orders in their respective states, acted against the recommendations of the CDC regarding crowd sizes, to continue holding services, whether it be with 80, a few hundred, even a couple thousand. This has even been recorded to have resulted in illnesses and even death from church gatherings that have gathered during this time. Now, I get it. I get why these pastors are hungry to be with their people. I certainly miss seeing my congregation face-to-face every week in person. And I get that faith is a powerful protectant against the incursion of the secular upon the presence of the holy in our lives. However, faith alone does not prevent germs from getting us sick. In fact, that's not how faith works at all. It's certainly not how God works. And in fact, we know all that we know about germs, about how to care for our bodies, how to avoid becoming sick because of the beautiful and wonderful brains that God has bestowed on us to discover the intricacies of our own creation and how to best be stewards of that piece of creation, let alone the totality of creation. Science is not an affront to God. Science is our human minds trying to comprehend the vast complexities of this creation that God has bestowed upon us. And in that, It is vital that we turn to science to give us critical information on how to protect ourselves and on how to protect our neighbor during this unprecedented experience in any of our lives. But that is what we're being asked to do by the government, by health officials, by doctors and scientists, and even Dr. Anthony Fauci, to love our neighbor so much that we're willing to sacrifice our own comfort our own desires, our own hopes and wishes to be together, whether it be Easter Sunday or hanging out with friends or building a house or going fishing. 
all of that is on pause because now is not the time to do that because doing so would harm our neighbors. When churches and pastors turn away from science, especially at a time like this, they are not turning to God. They are turning away from God and making the experience of worship about their own ego, their own cult of personality. They make church an idol and place that idol above God. And I think they do this because there is no room for doubt in their minds in regards to anything relating to God. But what I think they miss in the scriptures is that doubt isn't the sin that Jesus rails against, but rather it is our conviction of belief that is put to the test. We are blessed when we believe without seeing. We are blessed when we hold onto our conviction and belief so tightly, even in the face of unthinkable circumstances, circumstances that even close down our houses of worship for public services. When we maintain our conviction, even in the face of all of that, that is living into the gospel. Listening to science and health officials and figuring out how to offer worship and connection virtually is how we are called to share the good news in a time of global crisis. Doing that is answering the message we hear in the Gospel of John when we're introduced to the concept of Doubting Thomas. I want to thank my guests for joining me today for this special episode of Your Neighbor, a Priest. Today, I welcome pastors Liz and Dexter Carney of Longview Presbyterian and Pastor Allison Maddox of Longview United Methodist as we discuss St. Thomas the Apostle and specifically his interaction with the risen Christ, which over time has garnered him the nickname Doubting Thomas. So my first question is Doubting Thomas, fair nickname or no? Great question. I'll open the floor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair in the sense that there was, we tend to connote doubt with questioning. And there was something that Thomas needed to have answered. Now, whether or not he was actually doubting um, that Jesus was who he had said he was, and that he just wanted to be able to see Jesus, he doesn't say why he feels it necessary uh. to see Jesus. Was it because he felt cheated and really wanted to see? We, we read into it that he needed to see proof but is that really what he was asking for? I don't know. So in some ways, I think it's fair to call him doubting because he was asking questions. But I don't know if the questions he was asking were ones of unbelief. It's not really clear from the text. Yeah, I completely agree with Allison. I, I think doubting is a very fair nickname in the sense of asking all those questions. I think what's unfair is the negative connotation people attach to that nickname. I've always loved um, 
I actually actually have always loved that he's called Doubting Thomas because I I, I really resonate with all his questions. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a good question, Allison, of where those questions for him are arising from. But wherever they are arising from, I see myself in that uncertainty and that questioning and um, kind of insistence and demanding for something from Jesus that I see myself there. So that allows me to, I really see myself in the story because of who he is and in some ways how he's been interpreted. But I think it's the, for me, it's the negative connotation with doubting Thomas, that nickname that I think has been problematic. Yeah, I agree with what's been said. Um, I think to sort of hedge my answer a little bit, I think it really depends on how it's used. What is your definition of doubt um, when using this as a nickname? I've seen it used in multiple ways. Um, So I think there's the question of doubt as the opposite of belief that some people interpret it as, uh, because you see in the text that we've been given, do not doubt but believe is what Jesus tells Thomas. But I think perhaps that doubt is not the opposite of belief as it might appear. I think belief in the Greek there might better be translated as trust. So when you have the doubt as the opposite of trust, I feel like that makes uh, more sense that he's having difficulty trusting that the person who he just experienced crucified, tortured, executed by the state has somehow first time in human history come back from the dead and struggling that this just might be someone who can be a savior that blows all of his expectations away. And I think he's having trouble trusting in that. And I think that's something that all of us struggle to trust in. And I think that's something we can wrestle with. Mm -hmm. I wish we knew why he wasn't in the room with the rest of the disciples. Yeah. Because I, I just wonder how much of what he was doing when they are all gathered together and locked in the room and somehow he is out and amongst the people I'm assuming, unless he's standing on the other side of the locked door, but somehow that doesn't make sense. I mean, you know how when you've gone through something really hard and everybody forgets to eat, maybe they were like, Thomas, can you like go grab some pizza? (laughs) Like we haven't eaten in a long time because of everything that's. And so maybe he had a really like mundane reason for not being there. I wonder about that, too. (laughs) And it could be a more serious reason, too. I mean, he's just experienced a great loss. Mm -hmm. Maybe he doesn't want to keep talking about it with the same people. Maybe he went to get a breath of fresh air. He doesn't need to be on another Zoom call, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, want to touch on that that moment, that initial moment um, from this, this set of verses in the Gospel of John where we get this sense of a doubting Thomas. Um, At the beginning of this set of verses, Jesus does appear in a post-resurrected state to the disciples that are gathered in the room, and he does show them the wounds because they don't recognize him. Um, They're shocked. They are uh, kind of dumbfounded, probably a little bit. Um, This is that first appearance of Christ to the gathered group. Um, 
and Thomas is kind of singled out um, because he isn't there in that room. Um, and I, I wonder, I, I think the nickname of Doubting Thomas, I really like what you all have said, um, but I, I want to push back a little bit on the fairness of the nickname. And I, and I think you touched on a little bit of the negative connotation of the nickname um, in that that is what has become to define mm -hmm. Thomas. That is the only thing that people know of Thomas uh -huh. was that he doubted. Uh -huh. um, and I don't think that's fair um, because in the couple instances we have him speaking earlier in the Gospel of John, he's a very committed disciple. And in fact, in the other um, time when someone is raised from the dead, the story of Lazarus, uh, Thomas is actually the disciple who says, let us also go and die with him in reference to Jesus returning to Jerusalem and, and returning to a place where Thomas is very aware things are not going to be good. Um, and so he's very committed and he says, if, if he's going, we're going. And if what happens to him, it's going to happen to us and we just have to accept that. Um, so I think it's very interesting uh, in that sense, that he is stated as a very committed, deeply faithful disciple uh, during Jesus's ministry. Uh, and so this post-resurrection experience turns that a little bit, but also makes you question whether or not his experience is one of doubt or uh, maybe it means or stands for something different. Um, and I think you guys started to touch on that a little bit and kind of leads me into my next question is that even though, you know, I kind of want to push back a little bit on this concept of a doubting Thomas, I also understand that it is kind of fair because it has come to mean and stand for something useful for us, um, and I wonder what you feel is the usefulness in the concept of a doubting apostle, particularly in immediate post-resurrection moments. Um, you know, I definitely have seen it as a source of comfort for many in order for them to relate to an apostle of Christ who experiences doubt, uh, particularly around the most profound piece of Jesus's time in creation, his post-resurrection appearances. So I wonder uh, what what usefulness do you see in this example of doubting Thomas? You know, one of the things that <clears throat> I'm struck with is, okay, so Thomas isn't in the room. And when Jesus appears to the disciples, he says to them, peace be with you. And if I remember correctly, th that word peace is the same kind of peace that comes from shalom, um, which we know is a, a powerful, powerful concept. It's a restorative concept. And so they're receiving a blessing from Jesus um, and receiving, he breathed on them and, and gave them the Holy Spirit, which, must have come upon them in some specific way. And so does that mean that Thomas recognized that something had happened for them in encountering the risen Christ 
that he has not been able to have yet. And he wants to encounter the risen Christ in the same way. Because when Jesus comes again, he says to them again, peace be with you. And I, I don't know about you all, but when in those moments in my life, when I feel like I have been open enough to really receive that shalom that Christ offers, it, it is so transformative that uh, I want it. I won't say I get it all the time, but I want it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I wonder if what we are saying about Thomas and saying that he's doubting is like uh, Dex was saying that that word um, both. Well, you've all been saying that that word just doesn't seem fair in terms of the negative connotation. And yet, um, I think we all have those times when God doesn't necessarily feel as present to us as other times. And it's okay and very natural to start kind of wondering where is God's presence with us? And can we see it? Can we experience it in the way that we have maybe experienced it before and sometimes have felt like it was removed from us? Um, in the same way that Mother Teresa, of all people, felt like God's presence was sometimes removed from her. Mm. And... Anyway, I, that to me resonates in terms of the doubt of just that wondering of how much of how much of where God is present am I allowing myself to really tap into and paying attention to and and feeling and sometimes it, sometimes it does feel like God is removed for one reason or another. And that, because of that, I resonate with Thomas really deeply. Um, when Jesus says to him, do not doubt, but believe. And anyway, I'm not sure that was answering your question. <laughs> I yeah. It I, um, it's interesting because I've, I preached on this when I was in seminary. It was like the first passage I ever preached on for a church. Uh, and then I'm preaching on it this Sunday. Um, and I think with all the the world, with uh, all the COVID-19 things unfolding and what this Easter morning felt like for me, um, the way I, I experienced Thomas at this time was just his insistence about seeing and touching the wounds. For me, I was wondering if it was less about him needing proof of the resurrection of Jesus and more about if I'm going to accept resurrection, I can't just erase what has just happened. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I've I've wondered at that this week. I, I was feeling that on Easter. I kept trying to tell myself, okay, Liz, just like put the pain away for a minute so that you can have Easter joy today. Just and I was trying so many things to like make Easter morning feel like it has in the past. Um, and as I came to this passage this week, I realized that um, resurrection isn't going back to the way things were. It's trans transforming trauma in some ways, transforming death. Um, and I, I think there's something really, so it made me wonder, at least this is how I'm reading it at this time in history where I am emotionally, is if um, in Thomas's grief, if he is yearning for this resurrection, but I wonder if he needs to know that it won't just erase everything that they've just been through with Jesus, having him executed by the state, crucified, the loss and trauma of that, um, and longing for that to be swept up in resurrection and not erased by it. Um, and that's why I, I, I felt, I heard some good news for myself this week as I went to this text because Jesus shows up for Thomas and says, yeah, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. This is what resurrection looks like. It looks like sweeping up all the trauma that has happened and not forgetting it and not erasing it, but transforming it and having resurrection life look like something that you didn't expect and that you've never experienced before. It's something entirely new. Um, it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't appear in his pre-crucifixion form and he doesn't appear in this like dazzling form where he has a, a perfect body that has no wounds on it. He appears as a wounded, risen body. And there's something in that weaving together that brings me a lot of hope that I don't have to leave behind during this time of Easter joy, all the, the pain and the heaviness that we're all that many of us are feeling during this time of living through the coronavirus. So. Well, and I think with all that, I mean, with what we're living through right now, as we're quarantined and isolated, as economies are being shattered, as people are losing jobs and lives and safety, there are so many questions that we have. There's so much grief involved in our day-to-day -day living. I find it hitting me every single day in a new way of, wow, that was, this is so much bigger than my mind can comprehend. These numbers are staggering and overwhelming. And so for me, I think there is an incredible usefulness in the concept of a doubting apostle, which I think whether fairly or unfairly, uh, it's been ascribed to Thomas. I am so thankful that it's been ascribed to one person. Um, if we'll remember earlier in this chapter, Mary Magdalene told all of the disciples that Jesus was alive. And then they were locked in the room, not believing. Yeah. So why weren't they called <laughs> doubting believers? In the end of Matthew, they're following the risen Christ up a hill and they're worshiping him and it says some still doubted. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is plenty of evidence that the doubt wasn't singular in Thomas. I think that was a pretty universal experience for most of the disciple. But I think the concept of having one person who uh, we get to remember 
uh, embodying that gives us a way to connect. It's easier for me to connect with one person and their story rather than going, okay, I need to connect to all these people's doubt. I don't know. There's something about the intimacy of having it be one person that you know does this. I don't know if that makes sense. But for me, I'm thankful for Thomas. I'm thankful for the ways that throughout history, he's been um, prescribed as the doubting apostle. Because for me, it gives so much hope that this person who has experienced the risen Christ, who has had him preached for multiple people who knew him, um, still had questions, still wondered, still had grief. And that makes so much space for me in coming 2,000 years later and not having ever seen Jesus, not knowing anyone who saw Jesus alive. Um, it, there's, it, it creates space for people to have questions, to have wonderings, to ask all of those difficult questions, to continue to feel grief and pain in, in the midst of where we are now, a global pandemic, and still be able to encounter the risen Christ through peace. I love what you were saying about that, Allison, uh, through community, through all these different ways. Yeah, well, and I, I can tell you, I was so excited about the, the four of us being able to just talk together. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Together mm -hmm. in a closed room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there is that, I, I, you know, you were talking about grief, Nick, and I, I think for me that there, there, I'm trying not to give into that grief and that fear, but there, uh, I'd be disingenuous if I didn't say there is a certain amount of that for me that we're, we're not going to allow this to become a truly transformative resurrection moment for us in our lives. Um, what we're going through right now, that, that our yearning for things to go back to the way they were before it is gonna take over and we'll, we'll miss an opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that as we look to the future, uh, I, I've mentioned it before to other folks that it, it's been very interesting that this time has hit in a time in the church calendar for those of us who follow a liturgical calendar where we, we move into isolation in the time of Lent and we, we move into self-reflection in the time of Lent and then we celebrate resurrection and what it means to come out into the world in resurrection life and that we are Easter people, we're people who believe in the resurrection, and that's where our, our belief is founded. So what does it look like for us to do that when, when we are finally released from our homes to gather once again, whenever that might be, you know, probably months down the line, um, you know, so it, it'll be interesting. So I want to uh, thank you all for joining me today and um, just offer hopes and prayers that you continue to stay healthy during this time. Uh, and offer peace with all of you and your church families during this. Amen. Peace Amen. Be with all of you. <laughs> Amen. Peace be with all of you. I, you know, I really, I, I think that understanding of 
the grief and emotional experience that Thomas is going through and really that all the disciples are going through, um, but particularly experienced through this, this line of Thomas as the disciples come to him and say, Hey, we saw, we saw, we've seen the Lord. And he responds, well, unless I see the mark, I will not believe. Um, and I think that in many ways, as you all have said, is, is really a response of grief and a response of uh, maybe anger um, in that grief and in that mm-hmm. loss, um, a, a sense of, of, well, why did you get to experience this? What is, uh, why am I left out? What is, what is my, am mm-hmm. I not part of this? Uh, and I think that's a, that's a real experience of grief and anger and emotion that we all experience. Um, and so I, I think that maybe that concept of doubting Thomas is not so much doubt as in a lack of faith, but doubt as in a emotion, uh, doubt as in a place of needing something more. Uh, and I think that that's very real to all of us, particularly in this time. I, you know, I, I see people hungering and, and wanting more during this time that we can't have because it's been taken away from us. Uh, and, and I can't help but feel like for today's context, uh, particularly for Christian believers, but really for anyone who's coming to this text, that Thomas really speaks for us in that sense of loss and emotional reaction to loss. Um, and yet coming out of that in our modern context, we're still called to believe uh, and we're told that we're blessed if we believe um, even without seeing. Um, and so that's partly where that, that concept of a leap of faith comes in. Uh, even in our emotional state and our experience of loss and grief and yearning for something more, we have to have that faith and that belief that that something more is there for us if we turn to it and reach out for it. You know, something else that at least at this point in history for me right now that I'm feeling, I think along with Thomas maybe is he is back. It doesn't say that the doors were locked. It just says that the doors were shut. But but he's he's in, in the room again with the disciples. And I'm I'm left with wondering why are the disciples gathered? Um, because Jesus came. They say that they have seen the Lord. Um, Jesus has already told them, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And yet they're in the room. And so I'm left with wondering if perhaps Thomas was feeling an, an additional grief as to whether or not anything was really going to change. Uh Um, And I think that's one of the sort of heaviness or or tensions that I feel right now um, 
because with some of the things that we are experiencing as a result of the virus um, and some of the changes that we're enacting and the way that that has had a positive um, influence on things like air clearing up, um, people hearing birds in places they haven't heard, the earth wobbling less on its access. Uh, um, there's a certain questioning I have about whether or not the changes that we're being given the opportunity to make uh, as a result of this virus, if if we're really going to be able to make those changes, and I, I can resonate with Thomas as to I, I, there's part of me that wonders if if he was really wondering, even with the risen Christ, were things going to change? Yeah, I think about it. Um... Jesus appeared a week before to the other disciples and a week later, they're still in that room. Yep. The doors are still closed. They're not locked apparently, but they're closed. They were closed and they were still yep. gathered up there. They hadn't gone to the ends of the earth proclaiming good news. Exactly. And it, they had all experienced yep. it and nothing had changed. Yep. And I think we are in the midst of having to ask the same questions for ourselves. We are all locked in our rooms. Yep. There is fear. There is anxiety. And the questions are coming of how do we live in this time? How do we live right now? And how are we going to change for the better? Mm -hmm. Are we going to change for the better? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to go back to life before the resurrection? Exactly. Yep. Well, and I kind of resonate with like maybe why they were sitting together in the room even after Jesus has appeared to them because their experience of doing ministry with Jesus looked a certain way before he died. And now he's like, okay, now you're sent. And you're like, well, how are we supposed to do that? say thank you again to my guests for joining me today for our conversation about St. Thomas the Apostle. I hope that this conversation can illuminate the scriptures for you in a new way and give you a different angle of approaching this time of coronavirus through the powerful witness and testimony as seen through Thomas's eyes. I'll invite you to join me next time for a conversation on creation care and our call as Christians to care for this gift that we have been given and in particular how we might consider changes to our previous practices that can continue the lesser impact we have been forced to make on this planet during this time of isolation and staying home. That episode will be premiering on May 4th. Thank you for listening to Your Neighbor, a Priest.